1: I am your host, Amber Cullum, and I'm so glad you've chosen to spend this time listening to today's conversation with Jasmine Holmes. We are discussing shame. What place, if any, does it have in the Christian life? Are you mistaking the voice of shame for the voice of the Holy Spirit? And how does shame differ from guilt? Those are a few questions we discussed today. Before we begin, if you are a longtime listener of the show, or if you've benefited from the conversations I share here, will you consider partnering with me financially? You can give a one-time gift or sign up to be a monthly supporter for as little as $5 a month. Visit graceenoughpodcast.com slash support for more information. Thank you to recent donors, Cheryl Bell and Nancy Bayless, who said, I look forward to your podcast each Tuesday and love listening to it as I'm getting ready for BSF Leaders Meeting. And thank you to monthly supporters, Cheryl Lutz, Allison McCoy, and Kara McClendon. I thank God for your support. Good morning, Jasmine, and welcome to the Grace Enough podcast. Thank you so
0: much for having me.
1: I am looking forward to our conversation where we're going to be talking about shame and all that you have written about in your newest book, Never Cast Out. But first, I like to start my episodes by hearing a little bit of your early faith journey. How did you come to know Christ? When did you begin walking with him? Just kind of briefly.
0: Well, I um, grew up in a Christian home. My dad is a pastor. Mm -hmm. And so I grew up going to youth camps over the summer where he would speak. And I cannot tell you how many altar calls I have participated (laughs) in. Um, But got to make sure, girl, got to make sure, got to make sure. But my first one was when I was six years old and just felt the call of the Lord on my life. And, you know, as as somebody who's been a Christian for a really long time, not because I'm very old, but because I've just since I was very young. Yes. Um, you know, we often hear stories of people who are like, "Yes, I came, to, I, you know, I said I came to faith when I was this age, but then I actually came to faith at this age, or right. I, I kind of made a profession at this age, but then I went through a season where I was away from God, and then I came back to Him at this age." Um, I have not had anything like that. I came to faith at six, and that's just been my story for for the for I the long haul. Yeah.
1: I mean, I love that because it's true. I I remember at a time saying, "Okay, I came to faith when I was 12, but I don't feel like I really truly started walking with Christ until Mm -hmm, I was in college. mm -hmm. But I can look back now, though, and say there was still threads of God's presence and his continual pursuit of me and me pursuing him during that time, even though I was rebellious in some ways.
0: Yes, absolutely.
1: Yes. But I mean, I love to, you don't know how many guests I've had on and they're like, oh yeah, I got saved 17 times at church camp. You know, like, I had to make sure it stuck, you know, I'm glad we can laugh about those things. Yes. Yes. I've (laughs) so,
0: so many times to where finally my dad was like, you don't have to walk up anymore. Like we can just,
1: (laughs) it's secure.
0: Yeah. He's like, if you, if you feel, you know, if you feel those rumblings, like, you know what? you can just pray. You can you can right. repent and pray to God. It's okay. This whole altar call situation is not necessary. I'm like, okay, thank you.
1: Yeah. <laughs> well, and the idea too, that really we all need to preach the gospel to ourselves every day, right? Mm-hmm. Like not because okay. we're not saved, but just to be reminded that we are sinners in need of the saving grace of Christ. And we can repeat that prayer every day, not out of insecurity, but um, really just as a confession. Yeah, absolutely. Well, with that said, in your book, Never Cast Out, you are so real and so honest and raw about your own struggle with shame. And I do feel like shame is something that's really been brought to the forefront in recent years and maybe something that wasn't as talked about previously. But what I'd like to hear from you is as someone who did grow up in a Christian home and a really solid Christian home. Um, how did shame impact you, particularly when it comes to your faith?
0: I would say that, you know, the same the same reasons that I came to faith early were the reasons why shame kind of impacted my life early on. Um, being a pastor's kid, living in a glass house, And also being, being a pastor's kid. So my dad was an evangelist. And so he spoke at homeschool conferences and other churches and all over the place. And so people would just be like, they, they would just make these huge assumptions about me growing up in, in this wonderful home. And I had a perfect Mm. family and I had a perfect background and like, you know, so then I should turn out to be a perfect person. And, and (laughs) I still, you know, I'm, 30 I'll be 33 the first week of April so I'm already like my husband laughs at me because I still in my 30s I'm just like a child as soon as October comes I'm like I'm 32 and a half and and he's like we don't do that anymore like we just so um but at the age of 33 still last week somebody sent me a message and was like I you were such a disappointment what? You were such a yeah, yes. Oh my gosh. All like at least mm, less now because I'm more vocal about like don't send me messages like that. But when I first started being back in online spaces, people would send me messages all the time. And he and he was like, You're you're such a disappointment. I would have given anything to throw grow up in a house like yours. And basically you've just thrown it away. Um, you know, you're this, you're that, the other. I'm not how a lot of people expect me to be because they have followed along with my dad's ministry for so long. And so that was really where it started. I mean, honestly, just this living in this glass house of Mm. an evangelist, church planter, you know, mm-hmm. and being in really small churches. And I think anybody who's been a part of a church plant knows, like, it's just <laughs> such a small environment and and, and things it's not sunshine and roses. <laughs> and, yes. <but> things, <laughs> things fester, things happen, you know, church splits, growing pains, all of that stuff. But being a teenager doing those things and being involved in those things and, you know, having my first boyfriend be another pastor's kid and then having that blow up and then having, so there's Mm. just like all of the dramatic parts, I guess, of being a pastor's kid kind of fed into the shame that I dealt with growing up for sure.
1: Wow. I mean, and you're in a position too, where so much of it was played out, like even before social media, right? When you're, when you Mm -hmm. have a dad who is well-known, even prior to social media, things get Very much talked about in front of all the spaces, whether that's in magazines or whatever. Um, But wow, how that can be compounded now for people who, like you said, you get messages. And it's really just because you don't agree with all the same things conservatively Mm -hmm. that your family agrees with. It doesn't really have to do with the fact of if you're following Jesus or if you're not. Exactly that. Mm -hmm. Uh, Sorry. See, I want to talk about that because that frustrates me to death. But um, go and follow Jasmine if you'd like to know more. (laughs) Um, So tell me this, then. Lay the foundation of what shame is and is not. Like, how does it differ from feeling guilty or um, being convicted about something? Shame is like guilt's evil twin,
0: honestly. Mm. Um, you know, in the garden, we see the beginning of both. We see Adam and Eve eat the fruit and sin against God and experience guilt because of their wrongdoing, but like almost indistinguishable, like, um, like and as far as the timeline goes, is the shame, is yeah. the hiding, is the lying, is the shifting, blame shifting um, that all accompanies the wrongdoing. And so shame is just that impulse to hide. That, mm. that knowledge of not being enough, that knowledge of not being worthy, that feeling of unworthiness, that feeling of not belonging. And it often accompanies guilt because guilt, you know, puts us out of right relationship with God and the people around us when, when we haven't repented. But the difference, of course, is that guilt leads us to repentance and restoration right. and shame kind of pushes us further and further away from those next steps.
1: Mm. Yeah, I like that you say the hiding piece, right? Like that temptation to hide and not just the temptation, but then actually follow through um, is what really is the difference, I Mm -hmm. think, between guilt and shame. And so does shame, would you say shame has any value in the Christian life? Like you write about this quite a bit in the book. And so if you can say yes, that it does, flesh that out for us a bit. Like what is the value? I would say that it has
0: value in society. I would I would pull mm. it back a little bit further than the Christian life. Um, and the reason why is because as believers, Christ has removed our shame. He's given us a better alternative. We have the conviction right. of the Holy Spirit. So we don't have to go around, you know, shame is gonna happen, right? Like right. we're we're human beings and it is an emotion that is going to come up. It is a feeling that's going to come up that we're going to have to grapple with. But the knowledge of good and evil and right and wrong has been given to us by the power, the indwelling power of the Holy spirit. I mean, he gives us the very mind of Christ. So Mm -hmm. that feeling of shame is kind of a base feeling compared to the wealth and the riches of knowledge that we have in Christ. That said, you know, and I think that I've I always laugh because if if anybody ever goes back and listens to all these interviews back to back to back, they're going to be like, oh, my God, this woman loves criminal minds. Um, <laughs> I do. I do. And a lot of the people who get interviewed by the BAU, they also don't have shame impulses. And mm. that's not great it doesn't lead to a great society. It doesn't lead to a great, so shame, I believe can be a part of common grace, right? It can be the Mm. thing that keeps society in check, feeling bad because we have wronged someone. I think is a really important feeling for people in a functional society to have. Um, but we have a higher feeling. We have a higher calling.
1: Well, and is that feeling shame or should it be guilt? I think it depends, right? Because I feel like guilt, feeling
0: bad about something, you just say, hey, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry that I did that. Shame keeps us from doing the thing. Mm. Shame keeps us from even indulging in certain impulses because we know that we're going to feel guilt. We know that we're going to feel bad about them. Um, Things like, I mean- really base things people don't participate in, really based impulses people don't act on because of the fear of being shamed by society. Sometimes a good that feeling sometimes that feeling isn't even from them, right? Sometimes they like they really want to do it, but they know that <laughs> if they did, society would shun and shame them. And that feeling is powerful. That That's feeling true. is deadly.
1: That is true. I mean you're right. The prevention aspect alone is needed. So my question to that is like, when does it become unhealthy? When do we cross the line of, wow, this is impacting your life in such a way that you're actually not living out your purpose in Christ.
0: So I went to an intake appointment for my first born son. Now I had had a miscarriage before this pregnancy. um, And I was so nervous. Like I was so consumed with like nerves Mm -hmm. and anxiety and all these things. And I took an intake form and I remember it was, um, and, and a lot of people who have had babies will recognize the form. It's like the Edinburgh, like, you know, evaluation. And so you score from one to 10, like, are you, you know, are you having feelings of helplessness? Are you having sleepless nights? Mm -hmm. Are you having, you know, and I was like, I feel 10 on all of these. Me too, girl. Yes. So this is before I was diagnosed with depression and anxiety, And so I was like, ooh, I don't want them to think that I'm crazy. So I'm gonna circle sixes and sevens. So yes. they think I'm a nice medium oh. normal person. Shame, right? That and is. So she goes, my midwife was like, okay, so I see that you circle sixes and sevens. And I'm like, yeah, did I feel moderately all of these things? And she was like, Sixes and sevens are really high. Mm. And I was like, Oh, dang, didn't hide what I thought I was gonna hide. So they were like, we want you to either look into going on some medication or look into therapy if you're going to stay with this practice. Because these are like really high scores and, you know, basically it puts you at risk for a lot of things. So I opted to go to therapy because at that point in my life, I just I, I was barely ready for therapy, let alone the idea of medication. So I went I to therapy and was like, I think I'm just nervous. You know, you go into therapy for the first time and a lot of times you're like diagnosing yourself. You're like, Hey, let me save you some time. I'm really nervous because <laughs> I had a miscarriage. Blah, blah, blah. She's like, okay, cool. So nice that you think that you have a degree in this. Let's continue to talk. Mm-hmm. Um, And I don't know what she asked, but I was like, yeah, you know, and just, I, I got married you know, I, I got engaged after two months of knowing this person and then I married him four months later and we had a miscarriage and I wasn't supposed to have a miscarriage because I did everything right. I did everything mm. correctly. I, I waited until I got married to have sex. And my my husband is, the you know, the only the second person that I've ever kissed. And I like I went down this list of yeah. all the ways that my life had not worked out the way that I thought that it was supposed to work out because I had done all of the right things. I sounded very judgmental, like very prideful. Um, Mm -hmm. But above all, she was like, you sound like you are chock full of shame. And it had been such an underlying thing in my life for so long. Like nobody had ever said to me, you struggle with shame. Now I had a lot of people tell me that I struggle with pride because I feel like pride is something that we we talk about a lot in the church as something that we need to root out of our life. Shame less so. And Mm. so she looks at me and she's like, I don't even think you struggle as much with pride as you struggle with shame because pride is like, I'm this, I'm that, I deserve this and I deserve that because I'm perfect. I'm wonderful. Shame is I should have achieved this or that because I did the things that I was supposed to do. She's like, it's a subtle difference. So I understand why people in your life have been like, oh, pride, pride, pride. But let's talk, let's talk to shame for a little bit. And it was the first wow. time in my life that I ever came face to face with it. So I think oftentimes it's like an underlying thing that's motivating us so much yeah. that we just haven't put a name to. And that, um, let's see, my son was born in 2016. So that would have been 2015 was the first time that I ever had put a title to this thing that had really been my companion for my entire mm-hmm. life. I call it my friend me, honestly, yeah. Um, for my entire Life, like from my earliest memories, that feeling of I should be better than I am, mm. um, you know, and yeah, like Jesus makes us better than we are. Sure, 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 sure. But like, we we have to be, we have to be a little bit good for him to pick us, right? Like that—that's mm. kind of the the thought that was that has been in the back of my head for my entire life. Wow.
1: Well, and then even thinking about the pride piece, I think sometimes pride can almost be what we use to cover up some of the things that we're ashamed of.
0: Oh, you're so right. Yes.
1: I mean, I know that because also as someone who was first diagnosed with depression after my second was born... I remember not wanting to tell anyone because I just didn't know what people were going to think about me. Mm -hmm. And I had had someone in my life at one point, I had gone to counseling early on, not for depression, but to deal with some other things. And I remember someone in my life saying, well, I never needed counseling. And that just heaped all of these feelings of, well, if she didn't need it, then why do I need it? Or, mm-hmm. you know, there's nobody safe now. Yeah. So now I'm not going to tell anyone. And that yes. drives you, right, further into shame, because really we have to let some, we have to shine the light on it, mm-hmm. whatever we're hiding from.
2: God is a genius storyteller, and the evidence of this is threaded throughout Scripture. These stories will spark holy curiosity in your own faith. Because once you see these connections, you can't unsee them. God wastes no person, place, or thing. Listen and subscribe to Holy Curiosity with Kat Armstrong on your favorite podcast platform. And so
1: when you started Finally Shining, or let, you know, letting people know, letting people into, this is my life. This is my reality. It is not my identity. Did you experience any type of freedom or was it still just something that you were wrestling with really, really strongly?
0: I would say I wrestled with it really strongly for mm. two or three years after the initial, um and, and let me back up. I literally just went to a new therapist, I want to say three months ago, and talked to her for five minutes. And she was like, do you know that shame is a really loud voice in your life? And I was like, yes, I wrote a book about it, actually. <laughs> I I do know that. I do know her. I We have spoken. Um, so it's not even like it's taken care of now, right? Right. But right. I will say that I've had a, you know, been able to confidently name it and more confidently say and call it out and to more confidently put up boundaries when I'm feeling it kind of coming from other people or other circumstances. But that took a really long time because at first it was every, for for me, every time I felt shame, I was like, oh, that's God. That's the Holy Spirit speaking to me. That's God. Mm. That's God telling me something. It had been so warped but to learn how to separate shame from the actual spirit communicating with me, to separate shame from the actual word of God and law of God. Um, was this really long process because for so long I had just fused those things in my mind to when whenever I felt bad about something, um, I was like, okay, well, that must be God telling me not to do that thing, which oh. I mean, it can extend to so many things. I felt a lot in motherhood, right? Yeah. So like, if I feel bad about giving my child a vaccination or not giving my child a vaccination, then that's enough proof the Holy Spirit is telling me to do it or not to do it. If Mm. I feel bad about dropping my kid off at Nana's house and they cry for me, then that means that I should never be separated from my kid because that's the Holy Spirit telling me to not leave my child. If I feel bad for asking my husband to help around the house, then that means that I should never do, you know, and and you can just take it to all of these intense conclusions. And I was like, it was just, it was leading me around by the nose. And so I would say over the last two or three years, I've, I've experienced freedom to call it out, right? Like I still yep. feel the feelings of shame, but I've experienced freedom to be like, no, just because, just because you feel bad about something, that doesn't mean the Holy Spirit's talking to you. Mm. That's, your, your flesh is also really loud. And yes, the enemy is very crafty. So he is not always going to come to you, you know, dressed up as a thing that you want to do. Sometimes he's going to come to you dressed up as condemnation. Mm. That's also leading you away from Christ.
1: Yeah. Well, and so tell me this, because I, what I hear you saying is we have to build our toolbox or our tool belt, right? So that when th- it's not that the things stop that we struggle with, in this case, shame, it's that we have to be able to identify it, speak truth into it, and then turn our back and, you know, walk the other way. And so... Mm-hmm. What are some ways that you have now been able to say, no, this is not the voice of the spirit. And so, you know, I'm going to renounce it. So let's take, for example, your husband helping around the house, which girl, do I ever know it? I used to feel so guilty over that. And I'm like, I, when you grow up in a Christian culture, Mm -hmm. you hear all of these voices that say, we are to honor our spouse. We are to do this. We are to Mm -hmm. do that. We are to Mm -hmm. And so when you don't, you feel like you're failing and you feel oh, yes, Oh, yes. So how did you begin to say, okay, hold the show. This is what scripture actually says. First
0: step was honestly looking at the scripture, right? Mm-hmm. Like looking into the Scriptures, seeing what it said about wives, mothers, and responsibilities, and also realizing that the Bible is written in a specific cultural context. Yeah. I honestly, if I were... In the Titus church that Paul was talking to, and I had three children and had a husband who was considered like making middle class income, and I was making middle class income, we would have like so many servants.
1: (laughs) Uh, Right?
0: (laughs) It wouldn't, it wouldn't just be me. And also, or even So true. Even taking it back to, you know, my husband and I, so we're we're black Americans. Yeah. Our cultural background is a very communal background. Right. Where you're getting help from your parents, you're getting help from your you neighbors. Know, from from your neighbors, from your tribe. You're getting so we live in this super isolated society that does not reflect the values that the Bible and times biblical times are actually reflecting. So we take, we, we take ourselves, we drop ourselves in this isolated society. Then we take passages, kicking and screaming out of context, (laughs) you know, and to apply them to our modern society without any kind of like change or any kind of augmentation. And we take things like, you know, the Bible says, be a keeper at home. So that means I can never ask my husband to vacuum. Like what? This is not a, this is not a prohibitive verse. Like this is a verse mm-hmm. that tells you something positive that you should be pursuing something positive yes. that you should be working towards. Like it's, it's not Paul. If Paul had wanted to say, don't ever ask your husband to help. It's just your job. Paul was not, he was not shy. I know he would have said, <laughs> he would have said, and y'all stop asking your husband, stop expecting your husband to change that diaper. That is your job. Stop yeah. expecting your husband to, and he did not mm. say Um, So even just like understanding that, understanding where the difference between so many of the things that I had been taught were in the Bible versus things that were not taught, that that were not actually in the Bible was the first step. But the second step was realizing just how damaging those ideas were to my actual relationship with my husband, like Mm -hmm. so much resentment and so much just, you know. I'm raising, I'm raising four children. Like, you know, I have three and sons and my And I'm supposed to not husband. have you do anything. And, right, right. So I remember um, when I was actually writing this book, we came home one day and um, at this point I had a newborn and he was not sleeping. And I always, whenever I have a mom friend who's like, my baby's not sleeping, I'm like, girl, this is how they are torturing people in Guantanamo right now. Okay, mm-hmm. like you, mm-hmm. sleep deprivation is so real like it is so viscerally I my mom came to stay with us for a while and whenever she came to like stay she wasn't staying in our house but she was staying nearby and whenever she would leave I would sob and she was like what's the matter and I'd be like night (laughs) time is coming (laughs) I know.
1: (laughs) listen I still I know we're gonna go back to this conversation but I still will see a little tiny baby crying because my first one I swear I don't know if he I don't even know how he's still alive. He did <laughs> not sleep. Like, <laughs> it was awful. And I still will hear little babies crying and it's like PTSD. I'm like, oh, it is. my heart breaks for the mom. Cause I'm like, I hope her nights aren't like that. I hope it doesn't just happen all the time for her. And I just want to go tell her she's going to survive. She's going to make it. She's going to make it. And, and and regardless,
0: like whatever's going on the next day, it's hard. Yes, so I'm not even, I'm not even saying like my heart is more hard, but I'm yeah. just describing, I'm describing my heart, which was having a, um, at the time, a two almost three year old who mm-hmm. we now know that he has ASD. Oh. He was not diagnosed yet. So dealing with him, um, he is verbal, he's communicating, he's in speech therapy, it's amazing. Yeah. But at that time it was really like really hard to communicate to mm-hmm. him and just be like, Could you just where do I buy a ticket to your worlds? Because I would like right. to visit and ask you to do some things for me. And then having a five year old who was like, I'm sorry, I don't understand, baby. No, you I'm <laughs> I'm going to throw friend. balls at your head. <laughs> yeah. Like it's me. I'm sort of your, and then also having a book deadline and having, so all these things are going on. So we walk into the house one day and my husband goes, oh my gosh, this house is a mess. <laughs> and I just looked at him and, and he, but he wasn't even looking at me. He was looking at the house. He was like, man, babe, we got to do better. Like we got to get some systems in place. Yeah. And he goes on, he goes on with his life. Right. But you took so, it on. Oh my you took gosh. It on. I took it on. So we're in the car and I look at him and he looks at me and he goes, okay, tell me what's, and my husband is also neurodivergent. And so a lot of times with the, he just kind of says things and then it's like, oh, so he's looking at me and he's like, I can tell that I said something that in my ADHD brain it made sense, but I can tell that like, and so (laughs) I said, I think that shame, I think it's shame because when I think about what you said, you said, we need to get some systems in place. Mm. You didn't say anything wrong. Um, Right. I, but I took it as a judgment on me. And he was yeah. like, How are you supposed to keep the whole house clean while keeping our three kids alive? No, it's like mm. us together. Like we need to figure out things that work for us. Like I don't, and he always says, He's like, I don't know why you, I don't know why you always talk to me like I'm some chauvinistic pig. Like I don't, Aww, I don't understand. Like yes. you always talk to me like this is the, like these are my expectations. And honestly, you know, when we first mm. got married. I mean, okay. Mm-hmm. Don't be a- don't be a hero buddy like we, we we've been some places but now you know nine years in honestly he's not like he's his he's very much like this is our job and yeah. we even try to steer clear of words of language like help around the house because like it's not my job he's not my mm-hmm. assistant like we are keeping this house running together we are raising these children together we are figuring out things together right that doesn't always look like equal partnership in every aspect yeah right but it does look like having conversations and figuring things out but I wasn't even Able to get to that place for so many years because I was so burdened with shame every time my mind would even go there. Like, why would I need to ask for his help? I should be able to do everything, I should be able to handle it all. And it was, it was driving me into the ground and driving yeah. a wedge of resentment
1: between my husband and I. Mm-hmm. Well, and then that brings into the communication piece, right? Mm-hmm. Where mm-hmm. I think about shame and how Adam and Eve did go and hide and they didn't want to communicate with God about it. And that is exactly what shame does. We start talking in our head all of the things And we don't actually speak them to the people that we're involved with. And then all of a sudden we've built this whole um, kingdom in our brain based on the other person when they're not thinking that at all. Yes. And I mean, with your spouse, that really happens, but that happens at work. That happens with your teammate, you know, whatever it could be, you can build a whole thought process. Built on shame when honestly, if you just looked at them and communicated gently and told them what was going on, it would take not maybe care of all of it, but it would um we would be able to bypass a lot of the problem. I feel like,
0: Oh, absolutely. I mean, so often, you know, I feel shame and also so often he, he has felt shame, you know, in that example, I'm the, I was the one who was like feeling shame because I had said something, but you know, the other day I'm like, Oh my gosh, I, we had, we just got my son's official diagnosis and I was just paralyzed. Mm -hmm. And I, the, the therapist was like, Oh, you know, Langston hasn't changed. She's the same child. I'm like, oh no, girl. I am not think about Langston. Langston's perfect. I'm thinking about all this paperwork that I have to <laughs> file with insurance. I'm thinking about all this, you know, because we've been paying for therapies like out of, oh, you yeah. know, out of our insurance. So now that he has a diagnosis, great. Okay. Like they'll take care of everything, but I got to file that paperwork. I, I got to figure out where it's he's going to time. school. Yes. I'm like, I got to figure out where he's going to school in the fall. I gotta, so I'm talking about all this stuff. And my husband just goes, well, you're not a single parent. And I was like, oh, buddy. <laughs> so in that instance, he was like, well, what are you saying? Are you trying to say that you have to do it all by yourself? Are you trying to oh, say that you're, you know? yeah?" And so like shame interjects in our conversations all the time. And through, you know, years of marriage, we've been able to say, you know, in that conversation, five minutes after that, he was like, I feel like maybe I'm feeling some shame. And mm you know, we're always careful to be like, you're not the person who's making me feel shaped because you're just expressing a need that you have, a thought that you have. It's me. It's my reaction to what you're saying. Could you say things in a way that was like very soft and sweet and always mindful of me? Sure. (laughs) Is that fair for me to expect when you're spinning out about our son and the things that you have to do in order to get him the help that he needs? No, I can, I can, you know. So it's, it's just this constant, it's a constant dance that we're dancing and, and yep. figuring out. Uh, and we're also a couple that my husband and I are the the couple that like flirtatiously bickers all the time. Like the waiter <laughs> walks up to the table and just like, are y'all okay? It's like, no, we're good. This is how we just do it. <laughs> so we are like we
1: we communicate maybe too much because we're just like I know I didn't like it's the the same at my house like (laughs) yeah I mean I totally get you because this is us but then I'm so glad that we're communicators sometimes I look at my husband and I'm like oh we have a whole house full of people who talk a Mm -hmm. lot like Mm -hmm. my children talk so much they question everything I mean, they're, you know, and some people are like, well, that's lack of obedience. And I'm like, no, actually, that's them doing what I've taught them to do, which right. is let's have a conversation about it. Let's communicate. Let's not shove our feelings down. Now, does that make it harder to parent sometimes? Oh, yes. I <laughs> yes, it does. That's my but, six-year-old. Right. I'd rather do that than everybody just, you know, hiding behind guilt, shame, all the things. So uh, with that said, though, I do want to get to you right about. How um, there are, is it three false gospels? Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm.
1: Will you tell us what those are just so people kind of get an idea of, you know, this is how shame can present itself. And, you know, we don't recognize it.
0: Yeah. So... The first one we've already kind of talked about is the idea that we will just cast it off and just yeah. not deal with it, just never feel shame, which I think a lot of believers um, are concerned about. Whenever I talk about, oh, I read a book about shame, you know, the, the, how the gospel puts an end to the story of shame, and they're like, oh my gosh, what? You want people to be like running around naked, hitting each other with the head with hammers when they get mad? Like I am so that sounds like a world that I don't want to live in. <laughs> <laughs> like no, so I. Like, it's not that. Um, Right. We've already talked about how we need shame as a society uh, to keep us in check and to keep really scary things from happening. And the second way would be to use shame as a motivator, which I think a lot of Christians find ourselves doing, you know, kind of how I was talking about with confusing it for the Holy Spirit when I feel bad. Oh, okay. Shame is kind of leading me about round by the nose. And I do the things that, that, make the feeling be quiet. And I don't do the things that bring the feeling up. Um, and I never question whether or mm. not that feeling is coming from God or coming from the enemy. I just kind of, I, I do the things to soothe the feeling. And my husband is more that person. He's very like, he is motivated yep. by shame. Like if, if a, a personal trainer was like yelling in his face and was like, you fat lard, get up off the couch and do them jumping jacks. He'd be like, I'm going to do 50 jumping jacks and you eat. <laughs> You are never going to call me a fat lard again. Me? I'm going to be in the corner of the couch. Like, I, I, guess, I guess I am. I guess I am a fat lard.
1: You know what? That's so <laughs> funny because that, like, my husband is so motivated by yes. critique. Whereas yes. for me, here's what I happen with me. I either totally believe it and take it on and cower in the corner, or I'm basically like, screaming expletives at him and saying, yes, F you. No, I'm not.
0: (laughs) Yes, exactly. That's totally, that's me. I read, I read a book for Christian women last year and it was like, oh, the reason why you don't look the way you want to look is because you can't get up off the couch. You're couch surfing. And at the time I was like very pregnant and I was (laughs) reading this book and I was like, yeah, I am. And I'm in bonbons too. Added it. Yeah, it doesn't motivate
1: me either, girl. No,
0: <laughs> no. And even if it does motivate us, it makes us very like not compassionate people. Yeah. So that when somebody else is not motivated by it, like we don't know what to do. We we extend grace to people to people often the same way that we experience grace. It's and true. so if we haven't had grace-filled interactions, if we if we are not motivated by grace and love, then that's not what we're gonna use when we're talking to other people. And so a lot of the things that we had in our, because my husband is also an athlete. And so he's been like, played basketball in college. So his yeah. coaches would just be like, get up, like, you know, do it. And so many times in our marriage at the first few years, I'd be like, I don't want to be coached. So that's what you're doing right now is not going to happen. it doesn't motivate effect. me. <laughs> let me just, let me just stop you right there. Like, this is not working for me. Um, so the third way is a way that I think a lot of Christian women can fall into, which is the casting it onto other people. Uh, mm. We see that in the garden with Adam and Eve, right? We're like, "Who made you do this? Uh, who like Why did you do this? Oh, uh, my wife. Oh, uh, the serpent." Um, and I think that my wife that you gave me, right? Like, not even just my wife, it was <laughs> you gave her to me. So I'm not pointing any fingers, but if I were gonna point fingers, ugh. and I think that a lot of times that can look a lot of different ways. So for me. We've already discussed the fact that my house, depending on what's going on in my life, can look like somebody came in and ransacked the place and Mm -hmm. was like looking for something and was trying to rob us, but we didn't have any valuables. So they just threw (laughs) everything all over the place. And that's just, that's me, right? But what I could say, instead of just, you know, owning that that's a struggle of mine, would be, well, yeah. But those moms with the houses that are super neat and tidy... They don't spend time with their kids. Their yeah. kids can't the house doesn't even look lived in. Guilty. I'm the kind of mom who's like super warm and 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 cozy and nice, and I'm the kind of mom. Or I could go to somebody else's house who's even dirtier than mine and be like, at least my house doesn't look like mm-hmm. it's the it's the comparison. That's right. right. Yeah, I'm better the, than or not enough. Right. So I just I have to put it off on somebody else so that I can feel better about myself. And I was definitely guilty of that when I when I moved to Mississippi. I was not prepared for Southern housekeeping. Mm. I was not ready. I'm from Texas. I thought it was the South, and then I moved to Mississippi, and I would go to people's houses hey, for events and stuff. And I'd be yep. like, "Oh, oh my God! Like, what? What? Well, oh, what kind of? Oh, I love your silverware. What yes. type of like what? What type of silverware is? And
1: I'm like, "There's types." I went to Costco. I don't understand. <laughs> I know, same, <laughs> the same. And well, or of anything, like, if you're like me, I also would say, "Oh, well." They have a house cleaner. I don't have a house cleaner. So that was my southern experience. Well, my house would look like that if I paid someone to clean it every week, but I clean it myself. Exactly. Oh my gosh, I've been there. I've
0: totally yeah, like which goals, frankly. We are well, yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah. We are
0: hoping to be debt-free by October. We've been working really hard. And so we're hoping to be debt-free back to except for our house. And my husband was like, oh, what are we going to do? Like once we have more money, hire I was like, going to hire a house cleaner.
1: Yes, ma'am. Yes, it's ma'am. It's going to be so nice to have somebody to come in and clean my house every like, he was like, how often? I was like, every two weeks. Yes. Well, it, but it took me eight and... years to get away from feeling shame about having a house cleaner come in because I don't work 40 hours a week outside the home.
0: Oh, me too. And that's my husband had to even tell me like, you work from home. Of course, your I house know. is never cleaned. You're always here. Yep. With
1: all I'm kinds like, of people. And yeah, mm-hmm. right. I'm like, oh, okay, especially
0: like as a homeschool mom, my mom, yes. I don't know, like my mom's house. She's has nine kids. Seven of them are still at home. Her house is immaculate at all times to a <laughs> compulsive degree. And even she, if she was here right now, she'd be nodding like, yes, to a compulsive degree. Like it wow. is you know, it's always immaculate. And I would just always be like, oh my gosh, I'm not like my mom. Oh my gosh, I'm not like my mom. Yeah. And my mom one day, like, took me aside and was like, okay, so that's trauma. Um, mm-hmm. That's why my house is immaculate because I have trauma uh, oh. that I deal with by cleaning. And I'm like, oh, okay. So what you're saying is stop shaming myself. Stop inadvertently shaming you and being like, oh, she's she keeps her house so clean. Oh, can't put anything anywhere. Oh, and just be who I am in Christ. Got it. Thanks, mom. Sorry.
1: Yeah. And I mean, how nice it is that she was able to say that because, again, that's the communication piece where we can live under the umbrella of shame so easily when we're staying like self-focused, you know, and only allowing, not allowing someone else to speak into it or mm-hmm. not honestly saying, why is it that you can keep your house clean? And I'm struggling right. so much, Right, you know? And so it does sometimes seem like comparison and shame almost go, par- well, I don't even know if I would say parallel with one another, um, but it does seem like they kind of live in the same camp. Absolutely. Well, so tell me this, when you think about these false gospels, um, how does then the true gospel really speak into that? And how can we kind of bring that in on top of these false narratives, false gospels that we often speak or live out?
0: The gospel really puts an end to the story of shame. It Mm -hmm. is the only lasting antidote to shame. All those other ones just kind of shift it here, shift it there, but it comes back over and over and over again. And really in the gospel, we have Christ nailing shame to the cross and putting it to death. Now, he also put our sin to death, and we still feel the effects of sin every single day because we're waiting for him to come back. So there is that already not yet tension, right? Mm -hmm. But the gospel is what we point towards that helps us to realize that this really is momentary. These feelings Mm -hmm. are momentary. And so as momentary feelings, they shouldn't rule and reign in our life. They shouldn't be on the throne of our life making us make this or that decision. We're making decisions that are rooted in shame. We're not making decisions that are rooted in the gospel. And that is mm. a dangerous place to be. And yeah. so honestly, staying rooted in the scriptures and staying rooted in what God has for us and what Jesus would require of us. And I say the scriptures the scriptures so much because yes, we have the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. But again, we have to train ourselves yes. to discern the difference between the shame, that's the right. flesh and the spirit. And God mm-hmm. has given us the tool to do that. And it's his word.
1: Yes. Oh, amen, girl. I mean, that's the thing. I'm always telling some of the middle school girls that I work with, like y- you want to get in the word, like get in the mm-hmm. word, even when you feel like you're reading it and it doesn't make sense. For You know, you can come and ask me questions, but still just keep reading it like that. This is not going to be the case forever, right? Like mm-hmm. there are tools mm-hmm. and things like that. But Keep figuring out the narrative of scripture because it's so much bigger than the cherry picked verses that you so often get um, in youth group. Sorry, did I just say that? Yes, I did. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. Um, So let's close with this. Something that you write and you were just now talking about it is sometimes the accuser uses our sin to fuel his accusations. Sometimes, though, he uses our humanness. Mm-hmm. Share how the, the difference there. like the difference between our flesh and the way we address shame when it comes to our own flesh versus when Satan is using it as his his tool to kind of lead us astray or, or are they the same?
0: Well, one of the one of my favorite examples of um, and it's not even real. it's in a book, but my one of my favorite examples that really helps me to picture the difference, right? is, satan apollyon comes to christian in um pilgrim's progress Mm -hmm. and christian is on his way to this lustful city and apollyon stops him and he's like you know what you have failed so much Mm -hmm. you doubted god here you sinned against god there you almost turned back here you almost did that and just shaming right like piling it on and There's so much, some of the things that Apollyon says are just like Christian being weak, like being a person. Like he faltered here because he was trying his best and he slipped because the journey is really hard. Um, And some of them are actually Christian sinning, right? Christian doubting God, Christian like bringing accusations before God. And I love the picture of the Pilgrim's Progress because Bunyan just puts like both types of things in. But the thing that Christian does is he doesn't focus on Either like either type of shaming that that the enemy is doing. He goes, Yes, all of that is true mm-hmm. and more. Like there's even things that you didn't see. There's thoughts that I had <laughs> that you didn't even realize that I was having. Um, and he's undeterred in his quest toward the celestial city because mm. he knows who God is. He knows the promises of God and and he he is able to lean on those. And Apollyon can't, like, what's he gonna do? You know, like what, what is he going to do when he tries those barbs and and they Mm. just just don't stick. And sometimes those barbs come from things that we have done wrong. And sometimes those barbs just come from our humanness. I, you know, when my husband came into the house that day and was like, oh my gosh, I just, we need to do better about this house. It is, it is a mess. I had a newborn and a toddler and a preschooler and was sleeping three hours a night. My house wasn't dirty because of the sin of laziness. My house was dirty because- That was just my life at that point, Mm. you know, and if the accuser uses that against me, it's the same response as if I commit a sin and the accuser tries to use that against me, Christ Mm. covered them both. He's taken care of both my frailness as a human being, my limitations as a human being, as well as the things that I actively do to sin against him. He has Mm -hmm. covered them both. One, he's covered by hiding me in him, right? and being everything that I'm not. The other he's covered by hiding me in him and being everything that I'm I'm not. not. (laughs) Um, It's just... You know, and I think I, I do think that it's important, right, to make a distinction between when we have sinned and when we need to repent and when mm. we need to be restored with Christ. But I also think that the response to shame that is not from sin looks eerily similar. It's to come yes. to Christ and dig deeper into relationship with him. They both mm. require us to abide in Christ.
1: Mm. Yeah, I I really Really appreciate this conversation because you're right in so many ways that it's so easy to uh, not recognize the difference, but Mm -hmm. ultimately the answer is the same. Come before God, present the feeling that you're having and ask, is this shame? Is this my sin? If it is, God, please like, purify my heart. I don't want to be sinful. Absolutely. Uh, but the, if this is just me feeling guilt and shame over something that is completely out of my control, by all means, help me to let it go because you're enough. Like, you're enough yes. for now, yes. and this will pass. <laughs> So with that said, Jasmine, thank you so much. Thank you for just being willing to have the conversation uh, and to also share your own personal story that I know sometimes it's not that easy to put out there.
0: Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate this conversation.
1: I hope you found today's conversation helpful in identifying areas where shame may be a louder voice in your life than it should be and some ways to begin speaking truth into those areas. As I mentioned at the beginning of the show, if you are a longtime listener or if you've benefited from conversations I share here, will you consider partnering with me financially? You can give a one-time gift or sign up to be a monthly supporter for as little as $5 a month. Visit graceenoughpodcast.com slash support to learn more. Thank you for listening to the Grace Enough podcast. Tune in next time.